This is Mortification of Spin, a bully pulpit from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. After the podcast, listen for details on how you can receive a free resource. Well, today we're broadcasting from a frat house at a well-known college, which uh, shall remain nameless to avoid embarrassing the authorities. I'm here with Todd Pruitt, as usual, and Amy Bird, who's managed to get into the house because, of course, she is an honorary guy. And we're here to discuss uh, legal developments relative to freedom of expression, freedom of religion on campuses in the United States. Uh, on the 26th of June this year, uh, Robert Gregory wrote uh, an article for First Things. It's one of their web exclusives. We'll put a link to it uh, on the website for this program, entitled Bodoin Told Us to Go, The Narrow Doors of Campus Access. And here he's reflecting on the implications of a Supreme Court ruling uh, of 2010, Hastings Christian Fellowship versus Martinez, which allows universities to shape student organizations according to the prevailing culture of the institution, uh, even when that prevents the organization from adhering to a different view of the world than that which is dominant at those institutions. So, for example, uh, one could have uh, an insistence by the university authorities that a a non-Muslim headed up the Islamic society, or as uh, as uh, Mr. Uh, Gregory is talking about in this article, you could have the insistence that a non-Christian heads up the intervarsity Christian fellowship. Clearly, this has significant implications for campus Christian ministry and Christian life, and we thought we'd throw it open for discussion today. Uh, Todd, are you still with us? I, I am still uh, with you, having a bit of technical difficulties here and there. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I could still... see your, I could see your eyes closing. That was the, uh, <laughs> the so, uh... well. You know, all of this uh, talk of colleges just reminds me of education, which you know is a big bore. I can't imagine working in the field. You know, yeah. Um, that was a shot at you, Carl. I don't know if you yeah, appreciated was, that or not. I was going to say, you can't imagine working within the field either <laughs> as a student. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, you well, Texas you know, guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is interesting because um, uh, as, as I thought about this situation, read, read the article, as well as other similar situations going on in parts of the country, it, it presents a, a real challenge for Christian organizations, in this case colleges, um, if, if they're going to continue to self-identify as as Christian, what that identity what that identity means, and to help people understand that a Christian identity uh, relates uh, not only to what we affirm about the gospel, but all things that the Bible affirms, uh, biblical sexual ethics, etc. Et and um, and where's the intersection between identifying as a specifically Christian organization and um, a person's right to associate with whatever group he he wants to. Although I can't imagine why a non-Christian would want to associate with a Christian organization, except for maybe um, their own personal entertainment um, yeah, or subversion. I think exactly the, the agent provocateur kind of approach, right. which certain activist groups will almost certainly adopt. I would think exactly. And and my and part of my concern about this is how's this going to translate to the church, to the lo to local churches. 
because I, I, I'm not one to be an alarmist, but I can't imagine, and again, this story just being a microcosm of the larger problem, I can't imagine that, that, that churches are not going to have to deal with this. Um, you know, must, be, must we be required to, for instance, um, discriminate against um, hiring homosexuals as musicians or other types of, of ministry leaders? Is, is that going to, to become a violation of the law for the church to discriminate on those bases? Well, I kind of look at it as an opportunity for the church in some ways because I'm kind of, I kind of mix feelings about this. I mean, because on one hand, you know, these policies are complete nonsense. Clearly, an academic knows that a religious group will need to use religious discernment and qualifications to select its leaders. But at the same time, I'm looking at this as like, okay, here's these student-led discipleship groups where, um, you know, it's really the, the church's call and the church's responsibility to evangelize and disciple and to discern and, and, and not student leaders. So, you know, this might be a good chance for the the church to fund um, church-led ministries to evangelize in these college campuses. And, and this is one of the reasons I'm thankful to be in the PCA is because for precisely that reason, because we have Reformed, Reformed University Fellowship. Because on the one hand, yeah. Amy, I, I do agree with you. Um, uh, there are some issues with some, not all, but with, well, first of all, I mean, we, we've said before that there are some things about the parachurch that we're thankful for, but also things that cause right. us some concern, and I think yeah. justifiable concern. And um, uh, clearly, ultimately, the work of making disciples belongs to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why churches, denominations, ought to have campus outreach disciple-making ministries yes. so that those ministries are tied to the oversight and fellowship of a church. Right. So, I mean, I just, it, it really raises the question, how can we best preserve the church and then share the good news in this culture that is hostile to Christianity? Obviously this case shows, mm-hmm. um, how can we best do that now? Like how can we make this our focus? Yeah. Although I'm, I'm less sanguine about this. I think, uh, well, I, I take the, the issue of you know this isn't the church it's a parachurch group and therefore you know we shouldn't get too broken hearted if you like it's not devastating the church when a parachurch group is is squeezed but i would say it's it's significant for the way society is going in general what we're seeing here is a a restriction of freedom of speech in some ways now clearly mm-hmm. it's not government sponsored but the government is is permitting it it's not it's not the right. government closing down speech it's it's college presidents or councils are restricting mm-hmm. freedom of speech but it does fit within a general legal trajectory, I think, that indicates that freedom of religion in the United States is increasingly coming to be understood as freedom to worship in your place of worship. Uh, So I would see this as standing on a continuum with other judgments about, uh, you know, the rights of people to allow their their religion to affect their role in the marketplace. We've seen that kind of language coming out in certain uh, legal opinions in the last 12 months. So I would say on that front, it concerns me just socially that we're moving towards right. a, a bland conformity being imposed by right. the inroads of political correctness into to legal mm-hmm. judgments in this country. Yeah. And secondly, I'm not, I'm not convinced that this judgment will not impact something like RUF. As I read the article, it, it seems to be talking about campus groups. It's not right. talking about 
parachurch campus groups. It's talking about campus right. groups in general. So I could see a, a university turning around and saying, you know, we don't like what the PCA stands yeah. for. They're homophobic. They're misogynist. Right. Uh, you're not welcome on our campus. So right. I, I think that RUF doesn't solve this particular no. problem. Uh, yeah. IV, you know, IVCF for the particular pressure point in this article but i think the wider world doesn't make the distinction between church and parachurch yeah. and would see yeah. ruf as very much embraced under the same kind of yeah. uh legal legal judgment yeah, yeah exactly right and and i and, and and that's that's a good point to make because um while back to amy's point while i really appreciate the fact that the church is ultimately that body that must be responsible for evangelism and and the making of disciples, the church is 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 the one that before the Lord is responsible for that. Um, that said, um, RUF is not going to be treated differently by a school or by the government because they happen to be affiliated with a denomination. In fact, as you point out, Carl, the fact that RUF is a denominational ministry of the PCA may in some ways make them more of a target in that they can't just separate themselves from the doctrinal claims of the PCA, the, the claims that the PCA makes on biblical sexual ethics and the gospel, etc., are very, very clear. And so they're not going to, RUF can't kind of mold around those things. It's very easy to know the doctrinal position of RUF because they're associated with the PCA. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in that way, it's, it, it could make it even more difficult for the for RUF. Well, and combining what you two just said, I mean, the decision obviously just kind of evidences the sort of poetic justice that Paul labors to explain in Romans one, where you know here's the academy like not acknowledging God, so God's giving them over to mm-hmm. their foolish minds, and yeah. and so I mean, it really does become this this crossroads crossroads where we're trying to clarify the integrity and the responsibilities of of the church and the university. I just think when when I was going to to college and my first two years I was definitely backslidden as a Christian and I'm walking through the main part of the campus and there was a campus crusade ministry there and they're like, you know, do you know what you need to do to be saved while I was walking by? I knew how to answer that question. You know, I gave them the, the, the right words to say, and I got a big smile and a, you know, good job, pat on the back kind of thing, and I moved on with my bad life. Mm-hmm. And then about, I don't know how much longer later, but about halfway through college when I realized, okay, I'm not living as I'm supposed to be living as a Christian. This is not who I am. And I, and I returned to convictions of my faith. I never went to that college ministry. I went to church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, and yeah. so I, I kind of felt like that was cheesy in some ways, not to say right. that there's not great work that they do. And, and I, you know, respect sure. and admire that. But um, I just it would be nice for the church to be able to highlight itself as a yeah. church. Yeah. And, and that's and that is one of the weaknesses of the parachurch organizations is that by their very nature, they have a very weak ecclesiology, which means, right. unfortunately, that a student can get very involved in a campus ministry, but as soon as they leave college, it's like they become untethered. They have not become churchmen or churchwomen right. during their college the years. And so when they leave campus, they leave 
everything that's anchored them to the faith. And again, that's one of the strengths of a campus ministry that is a part of a a strong denominational ministry. I know in the case of RUF, for instance, that part of their goal is to anchor those students to a church for the very reasons that that you mentioned. And Carl, to Mm -hmm. your point, I'm I'm bothered by the very same things that that you mentioned, Carl, because as I read this and and look at this silliness, because it is silliness, um, there's no, there's no, this presents no problem whatsoever to the Constitution. No. To have Either you allow religious groups or you don't. Exactly. Exactly. You know? There's no constitutional crisis here. What, what bothers me, Carl, is that same point you make, what this says about us as a society, because we're turning into a people who believe that it is a, an inalienable right to never hear anything that they disagree with. And so it is ironically becoming the, the university campus where things like speech codes are being enacted. It's very Orwellian in, in that way. Yeah, I mean, jokes are now hate speech. Um, yeah. Religion is seen as beyond the pale. Uh, anybody right. who disagrees with gay marriage is seen as somehow dangerous. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite absurd, um, I mean, it, on one level, I, I'm encouraged that, that people think that Christianity is dangerous enough to want yes. to, to well, suppress it. That's good. Absolutely. That's something to be encouraged by. It's just sad to see human beings shutting down their brains right. uh, in the name of freedom, ironically. Right. Uh, the sort of to- the totalitarian mindset that's setting in, not totalitarianism right. politically, but the right. mindset whereby... Uh, dissent and deviation is right. is regarded as as fundamentally dangerous and unacceptable. Right. Uh, that's that's highly highly problematic. Yeah. And the irony of it all is that it's the um, religious groups that are being accused of being discriminating. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and it goes back to that comment I made to Todd a few weeks ago when I was in Georgetown recently. I went to the tobacco store, and it's almost as if tobacco stores are the last bastions of freedom <laughs> you walk through the door exactly. and there's all these there's people smoking there and doing all this stuff that you're not supposed to do at the very same moment that there's a gay yep. pride rally gearing up outside and i thought you know where does true freedom and diversity lie here mm-hmm. right. is it in the rainbow flag right. outside or the sad characters in here smoking <laughs> i i maintain I, you know, I maintain that the cigar shop is one of the last bastions of freedom uh, in I our country so. no doubt about it or I your think, like porch outside, right? <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. In Carl's case, his garage. Yeah. You know, we need P- PJ O'Rourke on this program. Yes. He was a champion of freedom. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's been um, this has been interesting. I, I'm I'm curious as to see to see where where some of this goes. I again, just for the sake of 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 our society, um, I'm. I'm concerned about this clampdown of, of of free speech that we see on the university campus. But but the but the problem is those sorts of of of, of infringements on free speech seem to be quite popular among the students, and I don't think that that's going to make us a robust culture uh, going forward. Um, but we promise, Carl and Amy and I, to remain robust and offensive um, as we possibly can. Um, I've gotten Carl to start taking up a pipe. Next thing, um, we're going to get a pipe for Amy, 
and share uh, my she's moonshine with you guys. Exactly. She's, <laughs> Amy, we're going to get you smoking like a chimney very soon. I, I see Amy more as a tobacco chewer, actually. Than <laughs> <laughs> so. Now, now that's exactly where we need to go. So un- until that happens, hopefully here in the next week or so, and Amy is is chewing tobacco. Thank you for joining us for Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include Reformation21.org and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit MortificationOfSpin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again, and don't forget your free resource. Tobacco stores are the last bastions of freedom. (laughs)